know how um, a circus elephant is trained? They take an elephant when he's a baby to get him ready for the circus. They put him in a chain around one of his legs and anchor it into the ground. Now, as a baby, there's no way that he can pull that chain out of the ground. But since elephants have incredible memories, as he grows into a massive ton animal, the day comes when he's strong enough to move one leg slightly, pull that entire thing out of the ground and probably half the tent with him, but he doesn't know it. He, he doesn't live connected to that chain because he can't break it. He lives connected to that chain because he doesn't believe he can break it. I'm convinced that the enemy comes to us early in life when we're weak and vulnerable, and he tries to attach some chain around us somewhere, some fear around our life, because he wants to limit us. Some negative experience or painful experience comes into our life and darkness attaches fear to it and fear makes us feel vulnerable. So what we do when we feel vulnerable, since we feel, we do the same thing Adam and Eve did. They felt uncovered all of, since they sinned, then they felt uncovered. They felt vulnerable. So what do they do? They went and covered themselves behind a bush. When we feel uncovered, when we feel vulnerable, then we try to build around our lives protection systems to keep that vulnerability away. I call that protection system frames. We build frames around our life to protect ourselves, to reduce the risk, to make our life safe from ever encountering the thing that hurt us so much. So we build those frames. Just as we do, though, something happens that nobody will tell us it'll happen. Nobody warns us and lets us know, if you build a frame, here's the results of it. When you build a frame around your life, that frame will define you. That frame will define you, and then it will limit you. And so then you become the child of an alcoholic. Or you become the child who was abused. Or you become the person who's not smart enough or not strong enough or who's not talented enough or who has nothing to contribute, who will never be normal, who will never be healthy, who will never be whole, who will never overcome, who will never do the thing that God gave you to do, all because you have been limited by a frame. You have been defined. (laughs) You took the frame on to protect yourself. Now the frame defines you. And just as it defines you, it limits you. Fear's temptation is to make safety and security your number one priority in life. I'll show you how it works. In America, safety has become one of the American gods that we bow down to. Holding safety up like a god is our attempt to control the universe and stop all bad things from happening because humanism says God's not doing a very good job. See how messed up the world is? Who knows? You could be next. That's what the news tells you constantly. Who knows? You could be next. So I know what I'll do. I'll build a frame around my life in order to protect myself. Why was it the thing, even in our pre-fallen, pre-sinful state, the thing that Satan tempted Adam and Eve with was eat the fruit 
Oh, and by the way, don't tell God you're going to do it. He doesn't want you to do it because he knows if you do, you'll be like him. Why was that temptation there? Because that's what we all actually want is to be masters of our own universe and control the results of our life. We value guarantees and promises, control, circumstances that are guaranteed not to change, insurance policies. You know we live in a fear-based society when everything is sold with insurance. Everything. Protect your investment. We have to have health insurance. The law requires auto insurance. The mortgage company wants mortgage insurance. Homeowners. Life insurance. Dental insurance. You go to buy furniture and they say for an extra $150, if your child takes a butcher knife and rakes it down the back, we'll give you another one. Electronics. I remember when I bought my first, uh, boy, it was massive (laughs) technological innovation. Forehead VCR. I still don't know what that means. It was, and, and the guy said, if you, if you buy insurance, we'll, you bring it in, anything goes wrong, we'll clean it, we'll replace it, we'll do this. And I said, you know, I really don't think. He goes, just think. And back then it was $427. Like nineteen ninety five at Walmart now. I was, I was uh, uh, like all our movie places are gone now. But back when you could rent a DVD at an actual physical location, I was checking out once and I said, would you like to add scratch-proof protection to that insurance for 25 cents? What? 25 cents? How bad off does your company need to be to tack on 25 cents to something to make it? Apparently pretty bad they went out of business. <laughs> a few months ago, I was picking up our dog from the veterinarian and, and the infomercials were on. I couldn't. I, I had to wipe my eyes. I couldn't believe it. They offer pet health insurance. Next time your pet comes in, and if something goes wrong, you're guaranteed they have a copay. A copay, a thirty dollar copay for your dog. My dog's gonna have to trust Jesus. He's not going. People make a lot of money on fear. It's like Aldous Huxley's Brave New World. We've been told that the good life has to do with risk, aversion, and security so we can have no worries. Think how this baseline of avoiding fear and being fed by fear has taken hold of our society. It's even shown up in our morals. What, what When you take God out of values, what values do you have left? You have fear-based values. So what you say to a young person is, it's okay to have sex. It's okay, just as long as it's safe. That's right. Safety is your God when you're bound by fear. This is where our nation, I think, also takes on and our culture, a large amount of cynicism and sarcasm. It's a way to protect yourself from risk. I'll just sit and host the talk show and make fun of all the guests as they come on and make fun of everybody else in the nation because that will protect me from ever having to take a stand on anything and risking looking bad. I'll just be a smart aleck. That'll be my career. 
I'll just make fun of everything. Maybe that's where sitcoms comes from, fear. We'll just make fun of all the issues. But when all the risk in life is gone, I got news for you, so is all the joy. With no risk, there's no need for faith. Safety is our attempt to live without God. What if having no worries also means having no dreams? What if the good life doesn't have to do with security? What if the good life has to do with adventure? They did a national study among senior adults, and they were expecting to rank responses by number one, number two, number three, number four, number five. But the number one response to this question was so overwhelmingly popular, they didn't even tag a two, three, four, five. They asked the question, what do you wish that you would have done more in your life? The number one answer was so loud, there was no number two. I wish I'd have taken more risk. Now, what does that person know that we don't know? Jesus said, whoever tries to save his life will lose it, and whoever, for my sake, gives his life away will save it. Unfortunately, in the Christian world, we've picked up on it. I was dialing into the radio a couple weeks ago, and I heard this advertisement for Christian radio. Safe for the whole family. I'm not against family things. I have a strong family value. But think about what all that means. Christian bookstores, Christian theme parks, Christian music. You can put a fish on the back of your car and everybody thinks you're safe. If you just buy this shop here, believe this, nothing bad will ever happen to you. And we have sold the purpose for God. God actually exists to make us healthy, wealthy, and wise. Since when did the word Christian become synonymous with safe? Jesus said some really, really dangerous things. He said, take up your cross and follow me. He said, if you don't, if you don't choose me over your mother and father and brothers and sisters, you're not worthy to follow me. That sounds pretty dangerous. Last time I checked, Jesus and most of his immediate followers were martyrs. Not safe. Jesus wasn't sanitized. The 20th century saw more martyrs for the Christian faith than any century since Christ. There there is a radical faith being lived in this world. And there is a culture the enemy is whispering through to shrink it down. Here's what I want to say to you this morning. We've got to get this straight in our soul. Absolute safety and absolute security is a myth. We don't have any guarantees that we're not going to endure challenges or hardship or be mistreated or go through trials or be tempted or have to fend off attack of the enemy. You and I are going to suffer. Hallelujah! How does that sound today? I should have warned you about this, shouldn't I? But look, what is fear about? Fear is not about the news. It's not about the economy. It's not about terrorism. Fear is not about the culture. Fear is about you. And fear is about me. Fear is about you and me and our understanding of God's purpose for our life. 
Fear is about you and I deciding whether we're going to live by fear or we're going to live by faith. The truth is, bad things are going to happen whether you're afraid of them or not. And once they do, what good did the fear do? To be afraid of losing something is to have already lost it. It's one of the enemy's greatest tricks. He'll let you keep it in your hand, just live so fearful that something's going to happen to it that it's no good to you. What good is it then? I was thinking about where, where, where is a good example in the Bible of someone who's taken this adventurous journey and, and in their own humanity persevered in faith rather than fear? Well, as I thought about it, that's pretty much all the stories of the Bible. Really. The characters that finished well, it's all of them. But I wanted to zone in this morning and tell you the speed version of Joseph's life. Joseph, you probably know the story. Let me just glean across the highlights for you. God gave Joseph a dream about the future. In one of those dreams, all Joseph's family bowed down to him. Joseph's brothers got jealous of that dream. And all the attention the dad was giving them. And so they throw him in, in, and threw him into a well. They intended on killing him. One of the older brothers talked him out of it. They ended up selling him into slavery to a traveling caravan. And as Joseph is looking through, out the back of that caravan as it moves off in the distance, and he's looking out at his brother standing in the middle of the road, cursing at him, knowing that if it weren't for the oldest one, the other ones would have probably killed him. What do you think he's thinking about the dream that God gave him? Do you think in that moment he's operating in fear or faith? He's probably thinking, what, what's going on? God, was that you? Did you really give me that dream? And then he ends up in Potiphar's house. One of Pharaoh's officials bought Joseph. Genesis 39, 2, though, says that the Lord was with Joseph. Regardless of what he felt, regardless of how it looked, the Lord was with Joseph. Joseph is promoted to the manager of Potiphar's entire house. Potiphar was a very wealthy man, so it was a, it was a lofty position. Potiphar's wife, apparently a cougar in her own right, came hunting after Joseph and makes advances on him. He resists and runs away and she lies about him and the entire world that Joseph thought God might be using to make that dream become a reality comes crashing down at his feet. And one day, he goes from one of the most prestigious accountants in the land to a common prisoner. And as he's moved out of the comfortable life in Potiphar's house to that nasty, bare living in the prison, when those doors close behind him, what do you think he's thinking about the dream God gave him then? Youthful naivety? Young stupidity? What was I thinking? God didn't say that to me. That dream wasn't from him. It's never going to come to pass. Is he operating in fear of faith? Next, now this is... Phenomenally ironic. Next, Joseph begins to interpret dreams. Whoa! How my head spinning? 
If I was him, I wouldn't want to see another dream as long as I lived. The last one about killed me. He's interpreting dreams. The cupbearer, the baker, he interprets the dreams correctly. The cupbearer goes back into the house. The baker's killed, just as the dream said. And Joseph says, hey, when you get back in there, remember me. The cupbearer doesn't remember him. He forgets. Two more years, Joseph sits in the prison cell and rots. What about the dream God gave him? What about the purpose God put in his life? Fear or faith? You sit and watch rats crawl across the floor in the prison at night, and you hear people screaming in the prison. The dysfunctionality of the human life in prison living has to be off the chart. You lay there in your bunk at night and stare at the sky for two, two more years. What do you think? What do you think about the frame that's moved in on your life? What are you going to do to protect yourself from anything like that ever happening again? Fear or faith? Finally, Pharaoh has a dream. Isn't it funny how all this is connected by dreams? Joseph interprets it and is promoted to the second most powerful man in the land. Like that. One day he goes from the top to the bottom. On another day he goes from the bottom to the top. Guided by God's wisdom, Joseph sets up a reserve system and allows the entire region to survive a massive famine. And his, and his family comes and bows down to him just like the dream said. I'm summarizing years of life. The enemy tried to put Joseph, listen to me very carefully, tried to put Joseph in a frame. God said, through a dream, you will be a ruler. The enemy said, how about trying to be a ruler from your prison bunk? How about trying to fulfill God's destiny for your life from down here? How does it look now? Potiphar's wife lied about him. His own family tried to kill him. He had no family. He had no mother or father as far as he was concerned. And then living in integrity, he could have said, forget it. I'm done with this. I'm done with the dreams. I'm done with God. I'm done with faith. I'm done with all of it. I just want to crouch down here in the prison and be left alone. You ever been there? Just want to get into a corner and say, I don't care if I ever do another thing. I just don't want to be hurt again. I just don't want to be disappointed again. I don't want to be frustrated again. I don't want to be let down again. So I'll just protect this little corner. The only problem is that corner becomes your frame. It becomes what defines you. It begins to limit you. It, it begins to shrink you down. God said to Joseph, you're a son. Satan crept in and said, you're a slave. You're not a son, you're a prisoner and a slave. Now you know the story. Joseph's family came into that region to get food because they were starving to death where they were. As his family arrives... A moment happens where one of them says, Does that guy look familiar to you? Pulls out his family wallet. 
that looks like Joseph. We could be, wonder if he remembers what we did to him. We could be in a lot of trouble. Wonder what we should do. And they knew he had the power to enact revenge on them and put them to death. But Genesis chapter 50, 19 through 20, records Joseph's response to his family's arrival. Joseph says, listen, listen to what he says. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. I've been in jail. My life's been threatened. Been threatened to be killed. I've been lied about. I've been on the bottom. I've been on the top. I've been back to the bottom. Back to the top. And I know what fear is. And I know what it'll do to you. It'll shrink you and kill you and drive your brain crazy. And his first words to them was, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me. I still remember. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You know how we know that Joseph learned to live by faith and not by fear? I'll give you a test. It's how he used his authority. Authority is a great test of whether we live by faith or fear. How we use authority is a great test. He uses his authority now when he has every opportunity in the world and every right, probably by his own authorities, to enact judgment on the family that tried to kill him. He uses that authority to serve and to bless those who hated him. Joseph said, you intended it for harm, but God intended it for good. I will not be defined by the frame that has been put around my life. I'm not a hater. I'm not fearful. I'm not negative. I'm not anxious. I'm not going to be shrunk down as a slave or a prisoner. I'm a prince and a king. Faith. Only faith can do that to you. You know, the New Testament has what I believe is a parallel verse to Genesis 50, 19, and 20. It's Romans 8, 28. For all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purposes. What does dealing with fear look like? It looks like two things, if you want to jot these down. Dealing with fear looks like two things. It looks like God's purposes and faith. Dealing with fear has to do with God's purposes and faith. People who live without purpose battle fear. People who float aimlessly through life and say, what am I doing here? What, what is the purpose of my life? Fear tends to get more traction in their life. When we don't take on God's purposes, we substitute His purposes for safety and security and protection. All things preoccupied with self 
preservation, and then we live in fear because absolute security is a myth. What else does dealing with fear look like? It has to do with faith. It's the faith that says this. It's not faith that says I'll never go through anything. It's faith that says I'll come out the other side. It's not faith that says nothing bad will ever happen. Nobody's going to guarantee you nothing bad's ever going to happen except people that have something to sell you or a liar. Or both. Bad things are going to happen. But it's the faith that says, I don't understand this now, but somehow lay it in the prison bunk as Joseph did. I don't understand this now, but somehow God's going to make sense of all this and his purposes will be accomplished in my life. Let me tell you what faith says. Faith says ultimately God's purposes in my life cannot be derailed. You want a guarantee? I'll give you an absolute guarantee. Outside of a pattern lifestyle of sin and disobedience. Outside of that, it's impossible for God's purposes not to be fulfilled in your life. We, 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 we uh, wrestle so hard over decisions. Lord, I just don't want to make a mistake. I don't want to do the wrong thing. I don't want to choose the wrong path. Can I tell you something? If you're, if you're not living... In some patterned, habitual, disobedient, rebellious, sinful life, you can't miss it. You can't miss it. Any road you go will be the right road. Because God will make sure if your heart is open, if your heart is vulnerable to Him, you're human and you, you're not perfect and I'm not perfect. But we think God's will's like that. God's will's like this. He won't let you miss it. Let the anxiety and the fear and the insecurity drain off. You are in his hand. You are safe in there. Believe God for his purposes. Have faith in us. Don't live in fear. The enemy can even shrink us in fear over the will of God. Faith that ultimately says God's purposes in my life can't be derailed by sickness or a car accident or darkness or suffering or any other thing. God's going to have his way in my life. Even though it doesn't make sense now. And I've got to be honest with you. There's several days it doesn't make sense. On a human scale, it makes no sense. With human eyes and human ears and a human brain and a human understanding, it makes no sense. But what does that have to do with anything? Faith is believing in the providence of God that in the middle of whatever life is doing, His purposes will be fulfilled in my life. They will come to pass in my life. God has an incredible plan for you and me. He has a dream, He has a destiny. But it's only entered into by faith. It's not entered into by risking, by taking no risk. It's not entered into by accepting the frame that the enemy's put on your life. It's not, it's not entered into by shrinking down. I, I, I know the economy's bad. I know life is bad. I know terrorism's coming. I, I, I've shut the news off. Shut the news off and open your Bible. 
shut the news off and put on a worship CD and say, yes, Lord, but your purposes roll on in spite of everything they say on TV. Now's not the time to shrink down and protect yourself. Now's the time to step forward in faith and say, in Jesus' name, I don't know how to make sense of all this, but God will have His way. He'll have resurrection is God's answer to everything that the world can do to you. God's guarantee is not that nothing bad will ever happen to you again. God's guarantee is that even if it does, He'll heal you. (laughs) You you might go through some stuff, but He'll heal you. He'll heal you. By faith. By faith. Noah, although it had never rained on the earth, believed God and built a boat. You want to know how how to overcome faith? How to overcome fear? It's in faith. It's in belief. Think about it. God wants to shatter the frames that have been built around your life, even if you built them. He wants to shatter them. He wants to shatter them. He wants to... He wants to shatter them this morning. He wants to break them. Stand with me this morning. Stand to your feet today. Close your eyes this morning. Jesus has come today. I had an intercessor call me this morning who isn't even here and said, God showed me before the service clogged arteries and after the service open arteries. Places that are open in Jesus' name. What has the enemy said to you? What have you put around your life that is a boundary and a border that has defined you for too long this morning in Jesus' name? Freedom is the word that God has said to you. In Jesus' name, God has said to you, you will overcome your fear by faith. I want you to take the frame. I want you to take the frame that the enemy has put on your life. I want you to take the frame that you have pulled in around your life and the enemy's used. I want you to bring that frame to God this morning and I want you to lay it at His feet and I want you to walk out of this place this morning with a new definition of what God's purpose is for your life. It's not to live in fear. It's to live in faith. It's to live in faith. I want you to step out right now. Right now. I'm not going to have you raise your hand or do anything.